We the people. We the people. We the people of the United States. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, to ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. That is, the president shall have the power, by and with the advice and consent of the Senate, to make treaties, provided that two-thirds of the senators present concur. And he shall nominate, and by and with the advice and consent of the Senate, shall appoint ambassadors, other public ministers, and consuls, judges of the Supreme Court, and other all, all other officers of the United States, whose appointments are not herein otherwise provided for, and which shall be established by law. But the Congress may, by law, vest the appointment of such inferior officers as they think proper in the president alone, in the courts of law, or in the heads of the department. Article 2, Section 2 of the United States Constitution, otherwise known as the Treaty Clause, the Appointments Clause, the Inferior Offices Clause, as we continue our look at the United States Constitution here on Afternoons Live with Dave and John, we have... Uh, We've made it basically halfway through Article 2, John. I never thought we'd get here. Will this ever end? <laughs> Surely but it But even must. if it ever does, we'll just start over again. Because so. I always discover something new each time through this. Yeah. It's fun. It's Afternoons Live, KFIV, KWSX. <coughs> Text machine, 565-DAVE, 565-3283. So we have to go back to the closing days of the Second World War. For many years before the end of the Second World War, John, China had been involved in a conflict against Japan that had started actually as early as the 1920s. It was, it was actually this day in history that the Japanese uh, prime minister put together some sort of uh, international plan for how the Japanese were going to deal with China and presented that publicly for the first time. Okay. And... You know, it was China. Nobody really cared. So the Japanese, as, as we all know, I mean, they control Manchuria. Eventually, they, they went into China. The, the conflict in China during the Second World War was vicious by all accounts. Uh, you don't have to go far in history books to find things like the rape of Nanking, where the soldiers just went in and just killed and raped and pillaged everything they could find. Uh, the Chinese themselves found themselves in a bit of a pickle after the war had started. They actually had two separate armies. They had the Republican army of Chiang Kai-shek, the great ally of, of Franklin Roosevelt. And at the same time, they had the People's Army of Mao Zedong, otherwise known as the Communists. During the Second World War, they kind of put their differences together uh, against each other aside and fought Together against and the Japanese to see who was, who they were going to be. Right. Ah, oh, we're communists. Right. They uh, they fought both against the Japanese, but as soon as that war was over, as soon as that war was over, they went right back to what they were doing beforehand. And of course, as you uh, as you know now from history, Chiang, uh, Chiang Kai Shek lost that war. 
Mao Zedong won. The communists won that war. Mao, uh, Chiang Kai-shek and his group of Republicans, not in the sense of party, but Republican as in <clears throat> a republic, right, fled to the island of Taiwan, which they then named the Republic of China and established a separate government. Two Chinas. Two Chinas. Now this, John, has created all kinds of consternation throughout the history since that time. Now, virtually every president gets asked, including President Obama, has been asked about our policy towards the Republic of what what the People's Republic of China refers to as the breakaway republic or the breakaway province of Taiwan. The you'll hear if you pay attention to Asian news, you'll get a lot of tension around Taiwan where the Chinese will send out their navy to exercise around Taiwan. <laughs> How does the United States respond? Right. The Chinese want Taiwan back. Taiwan, or the Republic of China, as it's known, wants no part of that. They don't want any part of the Chinese. And while today this is somewhat of a a hot potato pickle for politicians because they don't want to say the wrong thing about the People's Republic of China or the Republic of China, the things were much different in the 1950s. It was clear whose side we were on. Chiang Kai-shek was our longtime ally during the Second World War. He had, he had saved many of our air crews, um, had fought side by side with us, had met with Roosevelt, was good friends with us. And, yeah, okay, maybe he had some flaws that we didn't particularly like, but he was our, he was our dirtbag that we didn't, that, and, and not theirs. Plus, Chiang Kai-shek is much more fun to say than Mao Zedong. It is. Plus, Mao Zedong was you know, crazy. Right. And he wrote a little red book. I read that. Little red book. Quotations from Chairman Mao. Right. Which you could probably still get today. None of which make any sense. (laughs) When everything is said and done, there is nothing left to say or do. Mao Zedong. No, he didn't actually say that. I made that up. (laughs) Don't look for that in Little Red Book. It's not there. So in 1954, with the idea that the communist Chinese, as I refer to them, the People's Republic of China, mainland China, and Taiwan, otherwise known as the Republic of China, were going to be long-term adversarial, it was decided that the United States should negotiate with the Republic of China a mutual aid defense treaty. Now, it sounds fancy, but we're signing a a treaty that says, well, if China attacks either one of us, we'll both defend the other one. Which right. is kind of stupid if you think about it, because Red China. I mean, what what's the odds on Red China going after the United States? Now, in 1950, today we kind of go, well, not very likely. But in 1954, that wasn't necessarily thought of in those terms. It's possible that they were going to do that. They have the atomic bomb, John. They got the they've got the bomb. Who knows what 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 will happen next? So in 1954, we met with the re- uh, representatives of the Republic of China under President Eisenhower. We negotiated and signed. The Mutual Defense Treaty between the United States of America and the Republic of China it was signed December 2nd, 1954. It was a treaty that contained 10 articles basically dealing with the fact that we would, uh, we would take care of them and we would, they would, you know, we're, we're all going to be on the same side here. We're going to be buddies. We're going to be, we'll help you if the Red Chinese come over here. We'll be right here. We, the United States, will take on the Communist Chinese to save Taiwan. Now, Article 10 of this particular treaty, however, contained an interesting little thing. It basically said that either party can terminate the treaty after one year. You have to give one year's notice. 
and you can terminate the treaty. The treaty then went to, as is required by the Constitution, the treaty then went to the Senate of the United States, which basically looked at it and said, well, yeah, we're on their side. They're our allies. Right. We like them. Why wouldn't we approve this? And they did. And in March, on March 3rd of 1955, the Mutual Defense Treaty between the United States and the Republic of China went into effect. Now, if we go back to the Constitution, he shall have the power, the president shall have the power, by and with the advice and consent of the Senate to make treaties, provided two-thirds of the senators present concur. Now, just as, as an aside, am I crazy, or do we not just call it Taiwan now? That's part of the problem. <clears throat> we officially call it Taiwan. But its official name is the Republic of China. Wow. All right. The reason we call it <laughs> Taiwan, well, think about 74, what happened? In 1974, it's an old Klingon proverb, or it's an old Vulcan proverb, sorry. I almost attributed a Vulcan proverb to the Klingons, and that would have been a problem. It's an old Vulcan proverb, only Nixon could go to China. And in 1974, Nixon got on an airplane, nobody knew what the hell he was doing, and he went to China. And all of a sudden, he's in Beijing, standing there with Mao Zedong, and they're all going, hey, right. look, we're... Uh, Putting pictures up on Instagram. Reproachment. We're going to be friends with the communist Chinese now. Now, this treaty is still in effect, of course, with, with the Republic of China. Right. But this creates a... You can't really be friends with both of them, can you? No. Because they don't Especially like each if, other. Yeah, exactly. So what happens when they go to war? Are, you have to choose at that point who your buddy's with. We still have this defense treaty. Yeah. Still you might as well. Treaty. You might as well just make it clear from the get. It does create a kind of a consternation. And, and part of this whole problem was that... Let's make them Rochambeau again. You know, Taiwan, for all of its, um, all of its Republican, small r, not big r, for all of its Republican standards, is still based on a government of a people that, that, that weren't exactly, when they went to that island, all the way into the 20th century, if you get my trip. They were not ready to establish a full Republican-type government. Now, Taiwan is a, is a beautiful island. I've, I've never been there except on Google, um, but I know many people that have. Mm -hmm. And their soldiers and military people are are rated right up there with the ROK soldiers, the Republic of Korea, the South Korean soldiers, who are probably, if I, if I had to pick the badass soldiers in the world. They're awesome, you're saying? The, the ROKs, the, the South Koreans, it, not going to mess with them. Really? The Taiwanese soldiers, right up there with them. More BA than Mossad? Mossad, not the army. Okay. Mossad is not the IDF. Mossad is like uh, Israeli it's, CIA. Well, it's right? like their CIA. It's okay. a secret ops kind of thing. But but whatever. The, right. you know, the, the IMF. Just soldiers. Just if you're just taking their straight army. That universally, from the people that I've talked to, the ROK, the Republic of Korea soldiers are, those are the guys you're not going to mess with. Okay. And, the, and, the, and the Republic of China guys are not far behind them. Cool. They have a seriousness that's bred out of, much like the IDF, uh, that's bred out of the fact that they live constantly under the threat of we're going to be destroyed at any second. <laughs> right, yeah. And that changes how you think. That kind of makes sense, yeah. I mean, I guess there's a difference between being trained in peacetime and being trained in, you know, const under constant right. threat of destruction. You're staring at the guy that's going to shoot at you at any second. Right. And you just don't know what's going to happen. Right. Um, they are, but they have been staunch allies for many, many years. Now, all of a sudden, Nixon shows up in Beijing. Right. Peking, whatever you want to call it now. Um, and this, 
we need red China, communist China, mainland China, as a trading partner. Right. That was the myth. They're the theory anyway. We needed them as a trading partner. We needed to open up the world. We needed to reproach them in order to separate China from the Soviets to kind of increase our detente, to kind of split them apart so that the two communist countries weren't necessarily united against us. We needed all of this. But this all leaves Taiwan the Republic of China, sitting out there on the edge. Kind of high and dry. All with this mutual defense pact that we signed with them, with two-thirds consent of the United States Senate. So what do we do, John? That's where the constitutional conundrum really began. Really? Oh, yeah. You're not going to believe where this all ends up. Before we go to the break, uh, breaking news this afternoon, uh, Congressman John Campbell from California, Southern Southern Cal has announced his retirement today. Okay. Doesn't appear to be any scandal. Doesn't appear to be anything. He's just retiring because he's, he's tired. He wants to go home. So uh, well done to him. Congressman John Campbell from Southern California retiring, announcing his retirement just a few moments ago. It's Afternoons Live, KFIV, KWSX, Constitution Thursday. Stay with us. Back after. Welcome back. Afternoons Live, KFIB, KWSX, iHeartRadio, Constitution Thursday. So back during the Constitutional Convention, John, as they were putting this thing together, they realized that the president was going to have to be the primary representative of foreign affairs for the United States. That's kind of the only way to do it, though, right? I mean, if you send, you know, Steve, the guy that we send, you know, right. they're going to be insulted. Why don't, why don't you send your leader... They had, they had done some treaties under the Confederation, under the Articles of Confederation, but it had not been, um, not been particularly successful, I guess. Uh, let's see here. They did the Treaty of Amnity and Commerce with Sweden, did the Treaty of Amnity and Commerce with the Dutch Republic, with uh, France, with, uh, no, they managed to get the Second Treaty of Paris done that ended the Revolutionary War two years after Cornwallis surrendered. And, uh, they did a Treaty of Amnity and Commerce with Prussia. Oh, and they did a Moroccan-American Treaty of Friendship, which, by the way, is the oldest unbroken United States treaty. Really? We're friends with Morocco. That's cool. I've always wanted to be friends with Morocco. Casablanca's in Morocco. Right. Maybe that's why Rick went there. Who knows? But as they put this thing thing together, (laughs) they also recognized the fact that they had a potential problem here, which is, again, not every president's going to be George Washington. Right. And you can't just have this guy going off willy-nilly <laughs> negotiating treaties. Difficulty. Right. They, you can't just have this guy going off negotiating treaties with everybody. Right. Because what happens if he negotiates treaties that... Um, are stupid. Are stupid or not good or unbeneficial. What if he sells California? For instance, what if he goes to Red China <laughs> and says, hey, we're pals with these guys? Right. By the way, it's, it was 1972, not 74. Which would make sense because in 74 he was a little bit busy with Watergate. Right. But, um, anyway, the point being that they figured, well, we got to constrain this guy a little bit or somehow. So how do we do that? Well, in theory, what if you, because the people 
And you have to assume that the treaties are going to be beneficial to the United States people. If they're not, why why have a treaty? So the, should the people have some say in this? Other than the fact that they elected a president who may have ran on a platform of, I'm going to sign a treaty banning nuclear weapons, or I'm going to sign a treaty importing Cadbury eggs. Anything could could have gone. One of them did that? Not yet. It would be my platform. But, um, at any, in my vote. At any particular rate. There was concern that, well... The problem is the House, potentially, very large, and at the same time, rowdy, and perhaps not as deliberative as the Senate was intended to be. The problem on the Senate side is that it's equally divided, and while it's more stately, and the more they looked at that, they went, well, that's an advantage. Because now the advice, because the advice consent means that they can advise the president. They can say to the president, well, we don't like this part of the treaty. Maybe you should go back and renegotiate that. Whereas with the House, they felt like that would take forever to get done. Right. So they went with the uh, Senate. All right, we're going to have the Senate approve these treaties. But then they added in this last, I guess, if you will, constraint on the president, which is this two-thirds majority. Two-thirds of the senators present must concur. Now, we're going to see that again when it comes to other things as well. But but this two-thirds to concur on a treaty, at first blush, you look at that and you go, well, that doesn't make any sense. So why, not just, why doesn't it just have to be the majority of the senators approving a treaty? Shouldn't that be the more Republican-Democratic way, if you will? What if? What if one end of the country, let's say the Northeast, okay. really liked a treaty because it was beneficial to them? A treaty that, say, for the sake of argument, oh, I don't know, closed the Mississippi River. Okay. So that all the commerce in the United States would have to go through. Has to now go through the Northeast. Northeast put. Sure. And those senators and those people up there love that treaty, but the rest of the country kind of went, but if they could get 50% of that to approve it, what would happen? All those small states in the South and in the West now would be kind of screwed, wouldn't they? Right. Now you laugh, you go, well, that's an extreme example, Dave. That actually happened. That's what they did? Spain proposed a treaty with the United States (laughs) that said, you know what? We will, uh, how did this go here? The, let's see. They, um, we don't want to go all the way down there. The United States decided a treaty with Spain and sought free access to the Mississippi River through what was then Spanish-controlled New Orleans. Spain offered a favorable trade terms, but only if we would give up our demands for free use of the Mississippi River. Now, remember, at the time, the Mississippi River didn't belong to us. It was still Spain. It was still ah, Louisiana. Okay. But you used it from all the western states, Tennessee, Kentucky, uh, Illinois, all those states, to to bring your stuff down around to the ports and ship it out. Because that's where the waterways went. They didn't have roads, railroads. Yeah, there was nothing you could do about that. So to transport all that stuff to New England would have been very expensive for the people that were doing it. And New Englanders loved this treaty. Of course they did. Right, because it was all good for them. By making it a two-thirds majority requirement, however, what they did was, in essence, they made the small states even a little bit more powerful when it comes to treaties. 
They 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 put in a place here that essentially put a check and balance on that that kept a treaty that was beneficial to some but not all from probably being passed. It's still possible. Which is weird, though, because, I mean, didn't they just basically hand it to the Senate, which is only two senators per state? So that basically that's the great equalizing House of Congress. Right, but by making it two-thirds, now you've got to get a lot more than just half of the senators. You've got right. to get... You've got to get some of these smaller states, including some of the states that probably wouldn't have benefited from a from a particular treaty, to come on with you. And right. if they don't, you're not likely to get it. The other side of this, of course, is what ends up happening is the advice side of that before the consent side is the treaty comes in and, no, we're not voting for this, not unless you give me X in the treaty mm. or X in legislation. Right. And then that goes back to the president. The president says, well, that's either worth the treaty or it isn't worth the treaty. But, of course, the catch in all this is the president has to say to Spain or Russia or right. whoever. Of course, um, it's absolutely crazy to expect anybody to just, you know, agree to or disagree to treaties based on whether or not they're really good for the United States. No, of course, they need to trade legislation for it. Isn't that funny, though, that even back then they were worried about that? Yes, that's awful. We were already screwing up so early. <laughs> But in doing so, what we did was we prevented really bad treaties, that's the theory here, Yeah, from from being inflicted upon the entire country. Because the thought process was, John, if we pass a law, let's say for the sake of argument, that we pass a law that says, I don't know, everybody has to wear pink on Thursday. It's a dumb law, and nobody likes the law. All we got to do is repeal the law, which is a fairly simple process. Right. If we sign a treaty and ratify a treaty with another country... It's a little more complex to get out of this international situation. Right, because now just... we've given our word to another country, basically. And not only that, but remember, the world is different in 1789. In 1789, the United States is not a superpower. Right. Really, you could make that argument into the 1880s. We're not a superpower. And there are a lot of countries out there that are willing to... And potentially able to come over here and kick our ass if we don't keep our treaties. And that's the thought processes here. We don't want to make any bad treaties that could really get us in hot water with other countries. So two-thirds to, to, to both advise and consent before the treaty goes into effect. Right. Now, this, of course, goes into play, and treaties have been uh, signed along here. Let's see. First one under the, first one under the Constitution is the Treaty of Greenville. It opens up most of Ohio. It's signed with the uh, the Indian tribes. It opens up Ohio to settlement. 1795, the Jay Treaty, a.k.a. Tr Treaty of London, attempts to settle post-revolutionary disputes with Britain. We're still arguing with Britain about the revolution. Right. Well, let's uh, let's try to settle those. 1795, we sign a treaty with Algeria. So we wait, did we, did we set out almost right away to to become buddies with Britain again? We Yes. We tried. Yeah, and they were like... Mm. Well, you know, we'd, we'd gotten really buddy-buddy with the French. Right. <laughs> right. And, you know. Uncool. you got to be careful who you choose to hang around with. Right. Uh, Pickney's Treaty in 1795, the Treaty of Madrid, defines the boundaries of the United States with the Spanish colonies, at that time Florida and Louisiana. Uh, we have a tri 1796, one of my favorite, uh, Treaty with Tripoli. Tribute payments to Tripoli to protect Americans from seizure and ransom. We actually signed that treaty in 1796. In 1797, we did another one to pay the... The, the Barbary Coast pilots 
More money. We know. Oh, okay, they want more money. We'll give them that. That's awesome. I love how this one's going to end because this one's going to end eventually when they say, "Well, we want more money," and Jefferson says, "Nope, no." <laughs> Letters of Mark and Reprisal from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli go the United States Marines. And that's so how we that... sent the Marines over there to go. <laughs> we sent the Navy and the to Marines. go and spank the pirates. Yes, that is hilarious. Well, that one worked out. It's half past five six five day five six five three two eight three. Stay with us back after this. Welcome back, Afternoons Live, KFIB, KWSX, iHeartRadio. It's Constitution Thursday. So, John, in 1793, President Washington, sitting in the, uh, well, it wouldn't have been the Oval Office at that point. He's still in... New York or wherever. But a, uh, a major war had broken out between Great Britain and its allies and revolutionary France. By this point, France, our erstwhile ally, uh, has kind of gone nuts between the actual Illuminati and uh, the guillotine. France, yes, the actual, the, the real Illuminati. Illuminati. Yes, not, not the Dan Brown ones, but the, the real influence of the Illuminati on the French Revolution mm. and so forth. Um, George Washington, who was a fairly wise guy, was looking at this going, these people are crazy. They're nuts. We need to not, uh, we got to do something here. We got to, we got to figure this out. This so he was concerned that the, this, this war would be, uh, kind of a problem. He proclaimed American neutrality. The revolutionary government of France sent a diplomat over here to America. This guy by the name of Citizen Guinée. Gennay was welcomed with great enthusiasm, prop- uh, propagandized for the case of France, so forth and so on. But uh, he, he, by the way, was issuing letters, French letters of mark and reprisal to American captains right. to go out and mark and reprise against British stuff. The British, uh, Washington was not happy about this. He was w- mistrustful of the influence, believe it or not, of the Illuminati that had been so strong <laughs> as part of the French Revolution. Uh, he designed a treaty, and he sent John Jay, the great John Jay, over to negotiate a treaty to normalize relationships with Great Britain, fearing that we do not want to get drawn into revolutionary France, which would eventually end up as Napoleonic France, and we all know how that worked out. He um, he negotiated the treaty. The Unfortunately, Jeffersonians, Thomas Jefferson and his crew, supported the French. They did not like the treaty. So, of course, Washington decided that well, I better go talk to the Senate. I better go get their advice on this. And we talked about this when we were talking about President Washington. He walked into there. He just walks in there like. They started yelling at him, and yeah. he said, screw you, left. <laughs> and that was the last time he ever went in there. Yeah. This, uh, this treaty then. Didn't you say that was the last time any president has ever walked in there uninvited? Pretty, pretty much, yeah. It's the last time that's happened. And it was solely it's to get It's kind of hilarious advice. that he just went in there to go ask him about something, and they were like, whoa, tyrant. 
As a part of this treaty, the British agreed to depart from their forts around the Great Lakes. They uh, Subsequently, they had to readjust the Canadian boundary, and that's pretty funny. If you've ever watched uh, How the States Got Their Shape, yeah, there's a great episode in there about Vermont and the fort that's kind of in Canada and kind of in the United States. The, the line kind of goes right through the middle of the fort. Okay. And uh, you, you should check that out. Treaty angered the French. It became a central issue in the political debates. But eventually what ended up happening was that because Washington was so well-respected by the people and so well-respected by public opinion, he managed to get the two-thirds majority. And that treaty really kept the United States in many ways out of the Napoleonic Wars and out of the issues that had gripped revolutionary France, those ideas of the Illuminati. Yet another thing that Washington did that was awesome. That was incredible when you get right down to it. He was amazing. But it did create a lot of discussion, and it showed how the system was supposed to work with this two-thirds advice and consent and the back and forth that went between Thomas Jefferson, who I know many of you idolize, and, and I do too. But it's, it's a myth to assume that they all saw things the same way. Right. They didn't. If Jefferson had had his way, we would have been more French than English in the end. Now, maybe we would have avoided the War of 1812, but I would point out that the French lost the Napoleonic Wars uh, pretty badly. And we didn't do all that well in the War of 1812. We just sort of didn't lose. You know what I mean? I mean, the British, the British did not win that war. We didn't either. We, we, we didn't play well. And again, we were still not a major power. The treaty process has worked. And it has kept these treaties in place. And it's kept some treaties off the table. The, uh, the, the, the Kyoto Protocols are a great example of recent treaties not agreed to. The, the process has allowed us as a nation to interact with the world. So in 1972, Nixon goes to China. We still have this Sino defense agreement, mutual defense agreement with Republic of China. Right. And in 1979... President Jimmy Carter, faced with the Malis of, uh, of the world and realizing that, that I, I, I guess he thought that the best way to do this would be to open up the Chinese markets as quickly as possible. And the biggest sticking point with negotiating with the Chinese was our treaty with the, with the uh, Taiwanese. Stood up and announced, we're canceling that treaty. Really? We're canceling it. See, it says right here, one year we can cancel it. And so we're going to do that. So he actually stood up January 1st, 1980. Well, he, he established the, he announced it on January 1st, 1979, and established diplomatic relationships with the People's Republic of China and announced that the treaty would end on January 1st, 1980. And all hell broke loose. Because where does it say in there that he can do that? Right. So Senator Barry Goldwater, he was still alive then, filed a suit, Goldwater v. Carter, saying that the President of the United States does not have the constitutional authority to cancel a treaty. It doesn't say that he can do that. It says with advice and consent of the Senate. But does, does it technically say in the Constitution that, that that's how you cancel a treaty? It says he, she, he, the President, shall have the power by and with the advice and consent of the Senate to make treaties, provided two-thirds of the Senate's present, senators present concur. Right, but it doesn't necessarily say anything about canceling a treaty. So how would you feel if you were a senator who was pro-Taiwan? I would probably, well, I, I mean, as the senator anyway, I would probably feel like, well, if you need to talk to us about making them, you probably need to talk to us about breaking them, I would think. 
seems like advice and consent goes that way, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. Hmm. Well, we'll see where this one ends up, won't we? 565 Dave is the text machine. Stay with us back right after this. News Live with Dave and John, Constitution Thursday. So, John, you've had a couple minutes to think about this. I will tell you that this court, this case, wound its way through the uh, through the system and found itself before the Supreme Court. Goldwater v. Carter. Senator Goldwater says, Jimmy Carter, President, you can't just cancel treaties like that. Sure. President Carter, of course, says, well, yes, I can. This is more Bill clinton than we'll take it. His thinking, I suppose, was that we needed a relationship with the People's Republic of China more than we needed Taiwan, which right. is where we used to get all our cheap electronics. But now they come from China, I guess, is the big thing. The, the point being that both of these, uh, Senator Goldwater, who is well known for being a firebrand and a, a hawk and an anti-communist, believes that standing by our allies, Chiang Kai-shek and the, and the, the nationalist Chinese, is, is the more important morally correct position more than anything else. Whereas uh, Jimmy Carter perhaps is looking at a broader, I know I can't believe I'm saying this, but perhaps a broader, more world worldwide view here that, look, Taiwan, time doing the little small highland here, right. People's Republic of China. Taiwan is little you know, China big. Big billion people, which is better for the people of the United States. Right. So this goes before the court. So Justice, uh, Justice Considine, what do you... Uh, what do you feel over there? Well, uh, it is the opinion of this justice that uh, it, it is enumerated in the Constitution that uh, uh, treaties must be must be signed with the the advice and consent of Congress. Uh, I would say also that probably canceling treaties is probably also going to wind up being. Along and with and that. why would you reason this? Uh, well, you know, just because it wasn't, it doesn't say so specifically. But I would say that one could. Ex- extrapolate uh, that intent from what actually is written. Ooh, I love it. He's getting into original intent. What did they mean? I've brought you so far. <laughs> well, John. Because there's a lot of stuff, like, you know, we've talked about this a lot. There's a lot of stuff they don't just go in there and say. There's a lot of things that they assume that you will kind of figure out. The court agreed to take up the case, but did not want to hear oral arguments on it. So now well, we yeah, don't really why do you need those. to. And ruled on a ruling of basically six to whatever, um, to dismiss the case without even discussing it. Really? Court's ruling and the court's thinking was that the relationship between Congress and the president with regards to how foreign affairs conducted is essentially political, not judicial. And that since Congress, specifically the Senate, had taken no action when Carter announced this. In other words, all they did was stand there and go, well, you can't do that. And Goldwater filed a suit. The court actually postulated that had the Senate passed with a two, presumably a two-thirds majority, a resolution saying, no, We're we, we advise you otherwise, then the uh, court would have said, oh, now it's a judicial matter. But because they had not... It was essentially a political matter. They dismissed it without any consideration whatsoever. So so they kind of said, 
they kind of did come down that way by saying, well, you could have done something about it, but you didn't do something about it. So they sort of are saying, yes, you're right. He can't just do that, but he can if you don't object. Which leaves us in an interesting position today, doesn't it? Seriously. We have literally dozens of treaties. It's, it's amazing how few treaties we actually have, but many of them we, we do have. Many of the, most of the treaties we have are uh, naturalization treaties between other countries and us. Uh, and, you know, friendship agreements. We have a treaty to end World War II. Uh, cooperation security between Japan, Vienna conferences, test ban treaties, the SALT, the Strategic Arms Limitation Treaty. As it stands today, John, president, whomever, could stand up theoretically and say, we're canceling that treaty. Right. And what a constitutional brouhaha would ensue. I don't well, think you, or not. Because or, I don't know you could get two-thirds of the Senate degree on anything right now. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably true. Yeah. They were forward-looking, but maybe they should have put a little something in there about ending treaties <laughs> as much as they did about agreeing to them. It's Afternoons Live, back in 60 seconds. All right, tomorrow on the show, John, we got fun with news and top five... Are we agreed uh, top five people I'd invite to my dinner party thing? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Top, yeah, alive or dead from history, top people five that you would just like guests. to have there. And what they would talk about. Right. Good enough for me. Man. I'm going to have a hard time nailing that down to five. <laughs> oh, I'm, oh, boy. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I promise think, you. I feel I like it'll be you, a lot easier than me. Than I me. swear no more than two honorable mentions. Okay. I'll make that promise. Then. Okay. All right. So we'll do that tomorrow. Fun with news. Top five. Uh, That's going to break your soul. I know. It's gonna, <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to do that. <laughs> You're going to come in here just a shamble. Yeah. I'll manage it. Don't forget, Mazzy and I will be playing softball tonight out at uh, Big League Dreams in Manteca. The incredible Hayseeds, 8 o'clock on the Angel Field if you want to come out and, well, drink. I, I would, I'd, I'd say come out and root for us, but really... That's not what we're Let's doing. Let's be honest. Right. <laughs> it's not really, going out there not really about that. So we'll have a good time out there. Meantime, we'll see you tomorrow. Everyone, thanks, for, uh, thanks for a great day. Thanks to Sheriff Christensen for being here and to each and every one of you. Take the time right now. Tell the people that matter in your life. You love them very much. You would miss them if they weren't there. So don't pass up those opportunities. You don't want to have that regret. I'm Dave. That's John. Have a wonderful evening, everybody. And we'll see you tomorrow for a fun Friday episode of Afternoons Live right here on KFIV 1360 AM Modesto. KWSX, 1280 AM Stockton, everywhere via the iHeartRadio app. Smartphones, tablets, computers, mobile devices. It's a great app. Get it, and you'll love it. I guarantee it. Stay tuned. Rusty Humphreys is next. A little bit later, you got Stockton Ports Baseball on KWSX. Have a great night, everybody. See you tomorrow. You enjoy your life when you're happy to be alive. Afternoons Live is a Slippery Fish Entertainment production for Clear Channel Media and Entertainment Modesto.